Welcome back to Real Estate Investing Unscripted. I'm your host, Matt Rodak, founder and CEO of Fund That Flip, and we're back. After a bit of a hiatus, we're getting the show going once again, and uh, a lot has happened since we recorded our last episode. We've had two years of some of the most robust real estate markets in recent history. We've had some pretty significant world events from global pandemics to war, which has caused some uh, some serious uh, challenges to supply chains, while at the same time, government policy has helped fuel record demand for everything from the groceries at the supermarket all the way through to housing, all of which has, has brought us to where we're at today, incredible levels of inflation, a very hawkish Federal Reserve, uh, leading to, to interest rates that, that we really haven't seen in decades. So uh, safe to say we're, we're certainly in uncharted territory, leaving even some of the greatest economists confounded with really how things may play out over the coming weeks, months, and years. So we thought, what better time to bring back the show? Uh, as the title implies, Real Estate Investing Unscripted. Uh, we live in a world where the plot is constantly changing, the rules are being written in real time, and as players in this game of real estate investing, we have to adjust to make the most of what uh, the markets are giving us. We're getting the show going again uh, so that we can share some of our insights, we can bring on some of the best and brightest minds that we learn from, uh, and share all of that with you so that you can hopefully learn a thing or two to stay ahead of the game. And as part of the show's reboot, uh, I'm excited to, to be bringing along two gentlemen from the Fund That Flip team that literally live and breathe uh, real estate investing. They're on the, the front lines working with our clients on a daily basis, putting deals together, developing strategies, and sharing info uh, where we can to help our clients succeed. So with that, l- let's get to it. David, let's, uh, let's go ahead and start with you. First of all, welcome to the show. But give us the 30-second uh, intro uh, of just who you are, how long you've been here with, with Fund That Flip, and generally what you do. Yeah, thanks, Matt. So as Matt said, I am David Dugan. I've been with the company for almost three years now. I actually started right in the beginning of of 2020. Super interesting time to start uh, at Fund That Flip or or I guess any new company, right? Because shortly after COVID struck the world and everything kind of shut down for a while. And then even shortly after that, the real estate market took off like a rocket ship, right? So it's been a a really fun ride since, uh, since joining the company then. My first role with the company was as a territory manager for the Cleveland and Pittsburgh markets. You know, I always called it the Rust Belt market, right? You had Western PA, you had Northern Ohio, right? And a lot of, a lot of kind of good, strong Midwestern real estate there. Since then, I've moved into more of a regional director role that requires me to oversee the entire Midwest and manage the fund there. So I've gotten to uh, be a little bit more familiar with some of the other Midwestern markets, and uh, it's been fun. What do we call it? The hard hat and lunchbox territory? Is that it? You know, hard hat and lunch pail, baby. You got it. <laughs> awesome. Welcome to the show, Dave. Look forward to uh, to hearing some of your insights, Brendan. Let's uh, let's flip to you. Same deal. Thirty seconds. Who you are? How long you been here? And uh, generally, what are you what are you up to on a day to day basis uh, within the fun that flip walls? Yeah. Hey, Matt. Hey, David. So as Matt said, I'm Brendan Bennett. Also been to the company for just over three years. Uh, started at the company originally as an underwriter and then uh, made my way over to sales probably about six months to nine months after starting as an underwriter. Uh, So I I started as an account executive for the Carolinas territories and then uh, just recently started doing more on the inside sales function. So helping the team with some strategy, some planning. Um, And then in addition to fund that flip and part of the reason I came to fund that flip in the first place, uh, I invest in the West side of Cleveland myself as well. So with a couple partnerships, have about 18 long-term rental units and just launched a short-term rental unit back in March of this year. So pretty cool to be able to work at a company, do what I love on the side, but also during the, the nine to five. So appreciate you guys having me. 
We're gonna have to we're gonna have to do an episode on Airbnb rentals. I think oh, yeah. at some point, Brendan. So, I think so. Uh, hot topic. Yeah, hot topic. Thanks, guys, and you know you, you guys are in it uh, day and night, right? So um, I'd like to start kind of at a, a somewhat macro level, and then you know we'll dig in a bit from there. But uh, if we think back to even just January of, of this year, right, just ten short months ago, we had mortgage rates still in the threes. Uh, they started to climb to the fours and then the fives, and now here we are in, in October, ten months later, and we're we're well into the sixes with uh, some markets flirting with the sevens uh, or potential to get to the sevens here before the end of the year. You know, and this obviously has a, a real impact on home buyers, uh, their monthly payments, and ultimately, you know, how much house they can afford. So, I'd be interested to to hear from you guys on on how this is actually showing up. Uh, with our customers, right? The the folks that are out there renovating houses or or building new homes, uh, as the case may be, and and just what are we seeing? Like, how's this this uh, this rise in interest rates uh, impacting you know their businesses and kind of you know what they're doing in terms of taking properties to market? Are we seeing prices come down? Are homes sitting on the market longer? Um, so yeah, Brendan, maybe let's let's uh, let's start with you. What do you what are you generally seeing in some of the markets or, or across the board that that we operate in? You know, we've we've obviously seen uh, a little bit more of like a leveling or stabilizing of home prices, right? So 12 to 18 months ago, home prices were on a tear up until the right. So every time you looked, it was another 5, 10%, 15% increase. So I, I think now with interest rates going up, you're seeing a little bit less of a flock of new buyers to the market. So with that demand leveling off a little bit, if you guys remember 12 months ago, you could make an offer on a house within the first 24 hours of it being on the MLS and you might be the 20th offer in line, right? So now it's more so in the first couple of weeks of a house being listed, maybe there's three, four or five offers. It's a little bit less competitive, which I think is what normal is is more so like versus what we saw in the last 12 to 18 months being a little bit more you know outside of the box so i think our borrowers are, are seeing that and they're they're adjusting in real time so you know I, t- I talked to one of our borrowers out of north carolina recently who used to kind of cater to that 700 to 900k price point uh right outside of charlotte so after talking with him and saying hey how how's the interest rates impacting your business he's like well i've already spent all this money like marketing to this group and this demographic of buyer so he's like now the interest rates have gone up, their purchase power might have reduced by 150, 200K, somewhere around there. So he's like, I'm now building a product that really caters to that same home buyer, but I'm just following them down with their purchase power. So instead of building a 800 to 900K home, he's kind of adjusted his strategy to be more so in the 550 to 650 range where he feels like he can still service that same customer base, but still have a better chance of having that, that home sell. I think the other interesting thing to look at is while demand has been coming down, I, I still think we've been seeing really low supply levels across most of the major markets in the U.S. Obviously, some are different than others, right? There's some areas where the supply has really gone up, which has been the areas we've probably seen the most severe price drops. But I think until we see a, a full stabilization between the supply and demand, I, I think we'll continue to see some strong fundamentals um, in general from our borrowers and just in the, in the industry at large. Got it. So I just want to follow up on one thing you said there, Brennan. The, the, the example I think you gave of the guy in North Carolina who's shifting his product down from a cost perspective, but staying kind of at the same customer cohort, right? So there's a realization, I think implied in there is like some expectation that rates are going to stay up for some time, right? If he's building new homes, he's expecting rates to kind of be like this, at least for the next nine to 12 months. 
What's what's he doing to get to that price point? Is it kind of a smaller house? Is it lower grade finishes? Are we pushing further out where land is cheaper? Is it some combination of all of those things? Or what's what's kind of his his tactic on on actually accomplishing that and still making money? Obviously, which is which is the goal, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think at a macro level, it's definitely a mix of the three: so location, finish type, and also size. For this particular borrower, what he's doing is he's just compressing the size of the home. He's building a little bit more, you know, instead of a twenty five hundred four bed three and a half bath, he's he's compressing more to 2200 he's doing maybe a little bit more i'd say mid-grade finishes instead of some of them some of the more custom style finishes that are, are going to drive that price point up so he's still able to cater to the same demographic just a, a slightly smaller house with finishes more in that that middle class area swiping out the 15 20k viking range for the the two or three k you know lg that looks almost the same kind of a deal exactly yeah and and for for that buyer class too i think it's what they're looking for uh, from an affordability standpoint they're they're still looking to they're a buyer they've committed to buying in the market regardless where the interest rate's at so just kind of meeting the borrower where they're at from a price point is super important got it cool david over to you what do you what are you seeing yeah, where to start? So I, I feel like I this is a constant conversation for me and everybody I meet with. Everybody wants everybody wants my opinion on like, hey, what's going on with market conditions, right? Like, what, what should I be looking for? What should I be doing? Like, I, I don't know the answer, right? But I can tell you what I'm seeing. Um, I still think there's a fundamental lack of housing, right? There, there's still less houses than there are people. Um, I, I heard a realtor in Pittsburgh use a, a really, I, I think, good analogy. Right, he said, Midwestern real estate, we never really get invited to the party, but we never have the hangover either. Right. So we didn't see that explosive growth that, you know, the Southeast saw, right, or Texas here in the Midwest, right? Like we, we saw some some slow and steady increases in, in property appreciation. But as things start to level off, like I, I don't think you ever see a big dip here in the Midwest, at least not anytime soon. So I think um, you know, most of our most of our clients that are, are borrowing from us are still humming along, right? They built their business around real estate. So they're not going to slow down just due to market conditions. They might tweak their strategy a little bit, right? They might tighten up their numbers. They have to make sure they're more diligent on the buy side and making sure they're buying the property right, especially if they're doing like the Burr method, right? The, the buy, renovate, rent, and refi. It's tougher for those deals to pencil out now on that refinance, you know, if they're not buying it right. That being said, I think everything's going to kind of level off for them, right? And, and here's what I mean by that. So over the past two years, I think you were seeing everybody kind of buy above market value out of necessity most of the time, right? So even these people that make their living in real estate, they, they may not have necessarily been buying the property right, but with the high tides, you know, the high tide was raising their ship as well. So, so they still were able to make it out on the back end and have an affordable or rather a profitable deal. Now, as the tide starts to sink, I think they'll be able to buy the property right. And maybe they won't have the higher outsell or, you know, have uh, as an attractive of a, a refinance option, but it'll still be a profitable deal because they were able to buy it more affordable. So that's kind of what I'm seeing here in the Midwest. I don't know about some other markets, but certainly here. So I think one of the things that's that's made kind of where we're at today particularly challenging is just the the rate of change, the pace of change, right? So I think everyone was to some extent expecting a higher interest rate environment, you know, through 2022 and into 2023. I don't think anybody was predicting the the pace and the rate of the of, of the changes. You know, so that that's made it I think particularly challenging over the last 3 or 4 months, right? So like I'd be interested in hearing from you guys on 
like, do we think enough time has passed, right, for people to kind of process what's going on, develop the strategies for, you know, for a functioning market, the, the sellers and buyers have to come to an agreement on what is a fair market price, right? So, David, I think, you know, to your point, the strategy shifts were like, you got to buy right now, whereas before you could maybe pay a little bit more because you, you were relatively confident you're going to catch some appreciation through the life of the, of the project. Do we think enough time has passed or are we still kind of in the middle of it of, you know, sellers, right? Uh, the people that our borrowers are buying homes from still have maybe some unrealistic ex- expectations around what their their house can sell for. Or are we kind of leveling off? Are we getting there? Or are we still like bottom of the third, top of the seventh? Like where, where are we at with kind of this market finding its new level in, in y'all's opinion? David, I'd be interested to get your opinion, but the way that I view this, I feel like it's still very much a developing story. I'd, I'd say we're, we're we're in the fifth inning. We're, we're, we're still kind of waiting to see. Um, there's a lot of buyers out there that have just now started to enter the buyer market. They're looking on the MLS. They're trying to see what kind of deals they can get. And a lot of sellers for the first time are putting up these, you know, sky high price points and they're not getting any offers, right? They're, they're listing a property, you know, in that 10 to 15% increase trajectory, expecting the same reception that they got, you know, six to 12 months ago. And it, it just might not be there. So I think there's still some expectation setting that's going on between buyers and sellers. And I think there's still a little bit more time before that hits equilibrium. Um, with, when that is, uh, I, I think it's kind of to be seen because it depends on what's the Fed doing, what are the other uh, house the supply supply chain issues looking the next you know two to three months. The good news is, I believe that we are down the path. We are starting to see some level of expectations coming back to normal. And then I think we have a, a little ways to go, which I think is always the case with real estate in general, right? Buyers and sellers probably are never on the exact same page, and that's part of the part of the beauty of it. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent, Brendan. The fifth inning, sure. You know, maybe maybe a little bit past that, but I still think there's this lag, right? Where buyers, especially investor buyers, they've wised up. They they know, hey, look, it's not the same market that we're in uh, that we were in six, nine, twelve months ago. So I'm going to make sure that I'm buying it right. And I still think there's a lot of sellers and realtors that are, are trying to catch the end of this hot market, right? They still think it's a seller's market. They still think, hey, let's get it listed now. I can still catch the tail end of this thing. I think that's why you're starting to see stuff sit on market a little bit longer now, especially, right? Like o- over the past couple of years, we saw stuff that would get put on market that was totally dilapidated and still sell way over market. Those people that are trying to jump in and like, hey, I'm going to sell this property that I inherited from grandma and uh, get top of market forward or above market, like they're out of touch right now. Um, But I still think there's a lot of of sellers and, and realtors that are maybe still holding on to that little glimmer of hope that they can get a really good, uh, really good offer for their properties. So I think the, the the word of the wise here a little bit is be patient. I think the uh, the market moved faster than the market could move, to use the market in, in two different ways, right? I think we, we're seeing uh, a little bit of catch up, I think, in terms of finding the new level. So it'll be interesting, certainly, to see how it plays out over the next couple couple months. Brennan, you, you mentioned something uh, that I want to uh, pick that thread up on, which was uh, supply chain. Going all the way back to even before COVID um, in 2019, uh, lumber prices were up. We're starting to feel some stress on uh, just overall availability of everything from lumber to PVC to appliances to copper. Um, you know, the demand story was was picking up momentum, and then global pandemic happened. And a lot of shutdowns happened, which really compounded. Uh, the challenges around uh, getting materials for housing, for pretty much everything that goes into a house, and then huge demand spike for housing, right? Which kind of, you know, made it worse. So 
how is that playing out today, right? And what's been the result of that for folks? And like, where have you seen some success with, uh, with you know, some of the customers that we work with on on dealing the again the realities of the market, uh, particularly as it relates to to, to supply. A couple of interesting things there, right? So like David said, with the last 12, 18 months of the real estate market being so hot, our developers could afford to pay a little bit more for lumber, for countertops, cabinets, whatever raw materials that they're putting in the house because they were getting that on the outsell. I think now with rising interest rates, home prices starting to level off a little bit. Um, the, the chase to the top is, is not quite as strong as what it once was. And also the number of home starts has also leveled off and it's not on a tear as well. So I think, um, you know, I was actually just at Bigger Pockets conference the last couple of days in San Diego and they had an economist who um, got on stage and started talking about the supply chain pressures in general. And, and she was quoting how the 20 year supply chain pressure index has been at a, at a 20 year high uh, and, you know, really wasn't showing much signs of relief until recently so that the august and september we we for the first couple months we started to see a little bit of a a layoff on some of that continued increase in raw materials and i think builders and developers are especially seeing that in lumber already specifically so i think some of those pressures from like a macroeconomic level are are starting to let up which will impact our borrowers a little bit more indirectly as time goes on but i think our borrowers also you know, they, they can't just wait for the market to settle because they have to build the house today. So they have to make some decisions very purposefully that they can control. So I think what they're doing is uh, they're starting to try to select fixtures and uh, materials. And, you know, Matt, you mentioned level grade appliances instead of a $20,000 appliance, right? All those things that you could get at a big box store, you can get at multiple vendors in town, it's going to result in a lower price, right? So, and also they're going to have the ability to be able to have those materials readily available. So I think intentionally they're selecting materials that are a little bit more readily available. They're, they're building products that are a little bit more uh, spec build style and a little bit less on the custom home build side of things. But I also think, um, again, I'm not an economist, but I, I think, you know, tracking some of the uh, economic data, we're starting to see a little bit of relief from supply chain, at least in, in most of the sectors that the developers care about. So the, the Fed's getting a little bit of what it wants, right, with the, the rising interest rate environment, which is cooling the demand down to hopefully let supply catch up a bit, which is always the other side of the coin, right? Yeah, we have a more expensive house uh, for, for an end buyer relative to their overall payment because of a higher interest rate. But hopefully the cost of goods that went into that house are also coming down to, to at least uh, meet it halfway, yeah, I think so. And I think it kind of kills two birds with one stone, right? So it allows them to solve their supply chain issue, which allows them to build quickly, right? Because it's all about days under construction, uh, holding costs, all these other things that the developer is tracking throughout their project, whether it's you know with us or just in general. So it helps them control that variable. And then also with home prices leveling, it's allowing them to also build a more affordable home. So both those things are kind of working in unison to, to bring that product to market. Yeah. Uh, to Brendan's point, the people that I'm seeing getting maybe not hurt right now, but but their projects aren't looking great, right? They're not looking as profitable is the people that were doing luxury new builds. I'll give you an example. There's a developer that we work with here in Northeast Ohio who had a row of luxury townhomes planned here in uh, in the Cleveland area. He actually walked away from the project because his point to me was, hey, when I first bought the land and designed the project and, you know, did the renderings and the build plans, it it was a really profitable project. That was several months ago. Lumber has more than doubled since then. He's like, David, I I can't in a market like Cleveland, I can't raise that price point to the point where it's profitable in a different market. Maybe I would just 
continue to jack up the price and I would get what I'm asking. But something that I was planning to sell for 600000 here, I can't all of a sudden just sell it for 800000 because supply chain and you know lumber issues right so that's that's kind of a one-off extreme example but i think you know the people that are building um you know more of the uh middle class grade right more of the economic grade i think by and large they're okay because of all the, the factors you'd mentioned before right like prices are coming down um and maybe the market's softening a little bit but it's not going to crush them to the point where they're they're trying to offload uh you know, a luxury product, and it's a little bit more of an affordable product. The other thing I'm noticing, I talked a little bit before about strategy changes. I'm noticing some of our clients that have previously been doing high-end fix and flips or really heavy lift fix and flips, they don't want to be in the projects that long anymore. One, because they're seeing these huge shifts in really short periods of time, and, and they don't want that stress and that that potential risk of having a project out for 12 or 18 months. Um, but two, like the fluctuations in, uh, in materials and, and delays in supply chain. So they're switching to more of, Hey, instead of doing, you know, five to 10 really high end fix and flips a year, let's do double that amount, but we're going to do really cosmetic in and out fix and flips. Maybe we do them turnkey and sell to other investors out of state. And that's, that's kind of a whole other topic, but, but yeah, people, they, they just don't want to be in these projects as long and they don't want those really heavy lift, uh, sort of high risk construction jobs. Yeah. And man, I think we've seen that out of one of our larger developers in North Carolina as well. So, you know, he does anywhere from 150 to 250 units a year, primarily single family homes. So he has a couple different product lines, one being a pretty economical home between a 275 to 350 price point. Then he also does a luxury series that's in the million to million five range. So he hasn't shied away from that luxury build altogether. He still feels strong that the the, the market will receive that product well. Uh, maybe it doesn't sell as fast. Maybe it doesn't sell as high as what he was hoping. But what he's done is he's adjusted how much product he puts out in each of those sectors, right? So if he used to do, you know, 150 of the economic and, you know, another 100 of the luxury, he's shifting that to where he's doing 200 of the economic and then 50 of the luxury, right? So most of our builders that have developed some specialties in those classes, um, they're either, again, trimming down how luxury it is, like the example I gave earlier of coming from 850 down to 650, or they're just doing a little bit less of a quantity just to kind of hedge their bets a little bit on what the market's going to look like. Yeah. I think the saying is you can make money in real estate in an up market or a down market, right? You just have to have the right strategy and you kind of understand where you're at in the market. And to the to the point earlier of we're in the fifth innings, like we're kind of stuck in this like, you know, tra- transition period, right? And the sooner I think we can get to kind of level, um, the better it's going to be for the entire market, uh, buyers, sellers, our customers, investors, et cetera, right? So uh, fingers crossed it, uh, that we get there here soon. So I want to I want to shift gears a little bit and kind of talk about the capital market side of, of things for a bit. So uh, for those of you that are, are uh, listeners that are just getting to know us um, in our business, we really have two types of, of capital that we partner with to, to fund um, the loans that we originate. So we've got a an online platform where individuals can invest in as little as you know five thousand dollars into individual deals, individual projects, or as little as a thousand dollars into some of our more diversified, you know, fund-like products, uh, and then we also have uh, institutional investors that buy loans. So, uh, like publicly traded REITs, insurance companies, leveraged fund buyers, you know, kind of up and down the the, the spectrum, if you will, of, of Wall Street. 
And uh, <clears throat> Brent, I, I want to throw this to you first. You're, you're pretty close. You work with our, particularly our institutional capital partner uh, business. You, you failed to mention this in your intro, but you, you had a quick stint in our retail investor business as well for uh, for some number of months. So you've you know talked to folks on that side of the business too. But lo- love to hear from you of just kind of what are, what are we hearing from particularly the institutional buyers? How are they viewing the space? Kind of how has their posture shifted? Uh, you know, over the last couple months, uh, particularly in, in light of you know what we talked about earlier on the on the interest rate side yeah so i think both on the institutional and the accredited investor side the the feedback has still been that they're still very bullish on our space at large they're obviously tracking the the macro data that that we've talked about on on the show so far right so they're tracking you know how many housing starts in the new construction industry they're tracking days on market um they're tracking medium home prices and and where those are tracking so they're looking at all the big big macro level data as well and and kind of uh, adding that into how they're interpreting what's going on in the market. Um, you know, one of the most direct impacts that this is having is similar to the way that our borrowers are modifying their approach instead of just shutting the lights off. The capital partners and the accredited investors, they, they very much have the same philosophy as, as a borrower, ironically, where they're, you know, they're going to look through different deals, different investment opportunities, maybe with a little bit more of a fine-tooth comb. They're going to be looking at different leverage metrics, different pricing metrics, and try to make sure that in this new environment that we're in, you know, does the deal still make sense? Are the fundamentals still there? So again, I think by and large, we've still seen a, a big demand. We're still getting accredited investors signed up at, at pretty strong rates. We have new capital partners reaching out, you know, asking to look at some of our loan tapes. So I, you know, I think the demand is, is definitely still there. Yeah, that's what's been encouraging is you talk to the borrowers who are working in the business day to day and and arguably have the best finger on the pulse of like what's happening and like they're still doing deals, right? They still believe there's a market for uh, whatever product it is that they're bringing to market. Uh, And similarly, you know, some folks that have uh, literally billions of dollars to deploy um, in, in entire teams to kind of develop a perspective on the space continue to believe the same thing we believe, which we talked about earlier. We've got a supply problem. Uh, there's not enough housing uh, relative to the demographics of uh, the millennials and the homeownership rates and and just population growth. Um, and uh, while there's maybe some bumps in the road, like the fundamentals are going to carry this business through. And I think ultimately the creativity of the customers and the capital markets are going to find a, a way to make this work, right? Yeah, I agree. And I, I think as well, the, the way that they're approaching it, so similar to the way the borrowers are reeling back a little bit on prices, they're reeling back a little bit on their outsell value. The capital partner has taken a little bit more of a conservative approach from a leverage standpoint. So 12 months ago, maybe we were doing 90% of cost for an average project. Some of those leverage metrics have dropped a little bit down to like an 85%. And that's industry-wide, what we've seen from um, not only us, but all the other hard money lenders in the space. So it's it just a way for them to kind of still be very much involved in the market, but have a little bit more of a calculated approach. The other thing that's kind of good just to think about as a thought exercise is, you know, with the 30-year residential mortgage rates being at six and a half, seven percent you know, that's an attractive risk profile to a lot of these investors now, right? So, you know, 12 months ago, it was a two to three percent return profile um, relative to our eight or nine percent. So now with that, those interest rates rising so quickly, um, we're now in a place where the residential rates are between six and a half and seven. And by and large, the hard money space is anywhere from like 10 to 11 and a half. So interest rates rising slowly in, in our space uh, makes sense just from a relativity standpoint, given where commercial or uh, residential interest rates sit today. Yeah, great point. And, and David, I'd be interested in hearing from you. You know, you're in the market every day, meeting with our customers who are meeting with, you know, other other folks that are putting money out on the street, similar to we are. 
What are you kind of hearing and seeing and kind of how has the market at large kind of responded? Uh, Brendan hit on a few of it, but how's, how's the market kind of responding in large to, uh, I'll call it uh, the overall product offering, right? From a pricing, from a leverage perspective, uh, what's changed, I guess, right? In terms of like, you know, how, how, are, how, how other lenders are showing up and, and kind of what they're, what they're offering to the market. The positive news around all this is, to Brendan's point, there's still a strong demand for this asset class, right? And especially people that are are looking to escape that volatility of the stock market, this seems to be a more stable asset class, right? So there's there's no shortage of people that are, are lining up to buy this type of paper. Right now, as loan originators, I think, and this is what I'm seeing out in market, I think we're all dealing with the same kind of challenges, right? Whether you're a shop like us that cycles our money, right? And, and we sell our paper to institutional or retail buyers. Or if you're a shop that balance sheets all of your loan and, and kind of holds your paper, you're going to deal with challenges, right? So if you're, if you're balance sheeting everything, you're going to run into capacity issues. There's only so much money you have to lend out, right? So, you know, over the past few months, we've seen some, some lenders get a little cowboy, right? And say like, hey, screw what the market's doing. We're going to, we're going to keep throwing out, you know, really sexy rates and terms. But now what they're running into now is like, oh man, we're dry on capital, right? So like we got to go on a lending hiatus. With groups like us that cycle our money, it's, you know, we've got to make sure that we're structuring our loans to the appetite of of the paper buyers, right? So the challenges that we see, again, to Brendan's point is, you know, their risk appetite has gone down a bit, right? They're not as aggressive on wanting to buy loans that are super high leveraged at at a really discounted rate. They want to see stuff that's more in market with today's real estate market, right? So we've had to adjust terms a little bit. um, But I think by and large, that's industry wide, right? Leverage is down, rate is up a bit. Lenders are going to be a little bit more diligent about how they underwrite deals and, and the risk appetite is a little bit less. And I think access to capital is going to be more difficult for the people that are new entrants into real estate investing. You know, those are all the, the sort of challenges we're, we're dealing with. But I think by and large, everybody's kind of sticking to their horses, right? And, and they know who their big players are and, and who's going to be good uh, good borrowers of their money. And uh, so we're, we're running with those people and it's it's been treating us well. I, mean, I think to some extent it's healthy, right? We're hearing it kind of on both sides of the business from a borrower's perspective, um, de-risking a little bit, right? Maybe building a house that there's a higher level of comfort of, of having a market for from a, a price point perspective, maybe tackling a, you know, slightly less large renovation projects, right? So you can get in and out quicker. Uh, and same thing on the capital market side, right? Is we're bringing down leverage a little bit, repricing risk a little bit. To me, that's, that's I think, smart and healthy to make sure that uh, this industry can sustain itself right through uh, through this period of uncertainty that we're in, and, and come out and, and make sure that there's uh, capital for uh, what the market needs, which is you know bringing new houses to market either through new construction or uh, I think the average age of the house in the America today is 40 years old, right? So we've got we've got a lot of call it infrastructure. Uh, investment that has to happen. And we need capital for that, right? So always challenging when you're in the middle of it. Uh, but I think um, I'm, I am happy to see that the, the market is responding what I would what I consider to be responsibly, you know, as we work through these things uh, collectively together. Matt, I have a quick question for you on the, the private lending side of the business. So, you know, around 70-ish percent of our marketplace is still very much dominated by the local private lenders, right? So, um, 
the guy or gal that lives down the street that's you know sitting on a a, a large retirement account or you know a high w two earner that's now retired and wants to put some money on the streets in real estate. What have you been seeing or hearing from like the private lending space? Do we do we think it's more competitive now or less competitive? David mentioned that with the stock market being a little volatile, probably would make sense for some private money lenders to be really active right now. On the flip side, maybe a lot of these investors are tracking some of the housing data and they're also in the fifth inning waiting to see how things play out before you know they start running home. So curious to get your take on that, just given it's... Um, it's related to our business in a lot of different ways, both on the borrower side and on the lending side. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think the uh, the short answer is it, it it depends on a lot of like that individual investors kind of time horizon, risk profile, and a lot of other things. I mean, um, I don't know if you guys follow Ray Dalio. He, he used to run one of the largest kind of hedge funds, and he was famous for the last, I think, decade saying that cash is trash, right? Like you, you really don't want to have cash because you can't really get any type of return on that cash. And um, you know, you're, you're losing money effectively as, as a function of like inflation. He's recently retracted that statement and now says cash isn't all of that trash that maybe it used to be. And I think the reason for that is, you know, there's going to be some opportunities. And I think, um, really across the, the entire spectrum of our customers is like, there's a, there's a slight, slightly more, people are slightly more inclined to be opportunistic and saying, you know what? Cash doesn't sound so bad right now. I'm going to sit on it, see what happens to the equities market, see what happens to the real estate market you know, and, and try to try to deploy capital either when I've got more certainty around the risk that I'm signing up for or where there may be some opportunities because of some some disruptions or dis, you know dislocation in the market. So then again, there's other people that like have to generate passive income, right? And, uh, you know, they need it to support the lifestyle they've lived or just their horizon from a uh, uh, investment time perspective. And to David's point, they don't want to be in equity markets, but they got to generate some type of, of real return. So um, this asset class looks super attractive to them. So you know, a lot a lot of it depends, but I would say that I, I think more so than in the last couple of years, cash looks a little bit better than maybe it has um, just as a function of either not sure really what risk I'm signing up for because of just all the fluidity in the market, or I want to have a war chest, right? For when things settle in. Yeah, makes sense. And I, I think we've seen that from some of our borrowers too, right? So the, the borrowers and the really hot areas that still have really low supply, private money still there. It's still really, really plentiful. Some of the areas that maybe overappreciated during the last 12 to 18 months that are now kind of facing some of that correction a little bit more steeply, private money is a little bit harder to come by. Some private lenders are just deal junkies, right? They just want to they want to continue to invest and, and see new deal flow. So uh, yeah, definitely definitely depends. It's interesting to, to kind of watch how that class moves uh, in addition to our competitors. It'll be an interesting, I think, you know, next certainly a couple quarters, but maybe a year or more. And it in a lot of ways reminds me of the times when I started the company circa 2014, 2015, where we had interest rates that looked more like this and a little bit less liquidity and more uncertainty around housing. So arguably one of the best times to start investing 2014, 2015, right? So I'm excited. I think we've got, uh, we've, you know, we've got some uh, really great partners that we lend money to. We've got some great partners on the capital market side. And um, I think we're all trying to keep our heads screwed on straight and be smart and strategic and work together and share information. And that's what, uh, that's what this podcast is all about. So look, in the interest of time, I'm sure we could jam out here for another couple of hours just talking about all things real estate. Um, to bring us to a close, first of all, I'm, I'm super excited that we're back at it. And uh Look forward to having you two kind of carry the torch forward on, on keeping this going. And, and before we wrap up, you know, I'd love to just hear from you guys on, you know, what you're excited about, um, what you all have planned, you know, for future episodes here on real estate investing unscripted so that uh, those that are listening in uh, have something to, to look forward to next. 
we've started assembling the roster of, of who we're bringing on and pretty excited about how that's shaping up. So in the next couple of episodes, we're looking to bring on uh, an economist to be able to speak to some of the things we've touched on here, but someone that's uh, an expert in the field to really kind of dig deep and teach us a couple of things would be, would be awesome. We're also looking to bring on one of our fund that flip borrowers that is very productive in the North Carolina market. He's a, he's a younger gentleman who's who really gotten a hot start in real estate, um, primarily off of wholesaling and, and now developing the business. And then uh, we're also looking to bring an investor on the podcast as well, just to kind of hear that side of the business. And then David, one of the, the more exciting ones, I think, is our product manager of Flipper Force and, and kind of what they bring to the table from a deal analyzer and also construction management side of things. So he's going to come on and, and speak about the product and, and different ways that investors, whether you're doing one deal a year or a hundred, how they're leveraging that software to be able to run their business. Yeah, Flipper Force, that'd be a good one, particularly in, uh, in the, in, as we're transitioning out of the days of like doing your ARV calculations and profitability on the back of a napkin, because like you could, um, right, to, you know, maybe having to sharpen the pencil and having some of those tools available to uh, make good decisions. That's, that's cool. Well, listen, guys, thanks, uh, thanks again. This was uh, a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to tuning in to the, the next episode and, and joining you all when, when you'll have me back. For those uh, listening, thank you all for tuning in and look forward to, to having you back for the next one as well. Uh, be sure to check out more great content on fundthatflip.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Also, if you have any ideas for the show or any topics that you'd love for us to, to get into and cover, uh, feel free to send those on over to info at fundthatflip.com, and we'll get them picked up and uh, see if we can get them worked into the agenda. Otherwise, uh, for Brendan and David, this is Matt signing off. Talk again soon. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Fund That Flip and produced by Converso. Fund That Flip is here for real estate investors all over the U.S. We are the premier hard money lender connecting active investors to passive ones through crowdfunded loans in order to make real estate investing accessible to everyone. We believe providing transparency into our process as well as research and resources for investors at every stage, we can open up the world of REI to more people and help small businesses everywhere transform their communities and make an impact on their neighborhoods. Learn more at fundthatflip.com. Make sure to rate us and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and find us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube.